All right, Huda Thunkers. Welcome to the Huda Thunker Podcast, episode 78. As you're all, as always, this is your host, Zeb. And before we get into things, I want to have a few announcements. Back in episode 76, Explosives, that was the title of it, just two weeks ago, I said that you shouldn't throw bullets into a fire because they will explode. That's what I said. Now, one of my listeners, Ronnie, reached out to me. He drove 11 hours from Savannah, Georgia, just to, all the way up here to Pittsburgh, just to tell me that I was a tad misleading in two episodes ago. I'm just kidding. Uh, he actually drove 11 hours to, and we met at a wedding of a mutual friend. But while there, he did tell me, um, he said that I should be more clear. Bullet casings do go off when thrown into fire because of the heat. Um, but it is very rare that the bullet itself will be prepared out of or propelled out of the casing if it were fired, like as if it were fired out of a gun barrel. Of course, it is dangerous. And let me just say this. You should not throw bullets into a campfire. Don't do it, kids. But I agree with him. Um, he and I are both, we've both been sitting around a controlled fu- couch fire, um, well, controlled asterisk, that unknowingly had a few live rounds in between the cushions. <laughs> Our buddy was in the army. He's like, burn this couch. It's nasty. My dog peed on it. We threw it in the fire and pop, pop, pop. <laughs> a couple minutes later. But I remember the pops of explosions, but no bullets whizzing out of the flames. Um, so thanks for... Uh, good. I mean, thanks for letting me know, Ronnie. You're right. Good. Make that clarification. But still, don't throw bullets into fires. Another announcement I'd like to make. I've kept this show clean for all this time. But looking at my stats the other day, I realized none, like none of my listeners are under the age of 18. You know, people aren't playing this in classrooms. So I still plan on keeping this, the cursing to a minimum. There are just some instances where you know they're just better with a little mild curse. And, you know, like... Every once in a while, I cover a really cool person, and I want to call him a badass, but I've just been calling him like, oh, what a what a tough guy. It's, they're badass. That's the best word for it, okay? And I don't have any specific topic in mind just yet, but this means I will also be uh, opening the podcast to more mature content. Um, I, I'm not like smut or anything, but, you know, if I want to talk about drug lords or something like that, I, I will. I mean, I, <laughs> I guess I already kind of made that switch back a few weeks ago. When I did an episode with the word cocaine in the title, <laughs> cocaine hippos. So <laughs> I guess I kind of already made that switch. Now for the recommendation segment, um, I'm going to recommend that you watch um, some anime. I like Sword Art Online. It's a great show. I know it. It's probably it's pretty you know popular with a lot of anime people. People who don't like anime probably tired of me <laughs> recommending anime, but it's a good anime and it's got some really deep stuff shannon doesn't watch it unless i already have it on she walks into the room the other day that happened and she's like whoa what is this it's a the premise is a guy and the near future he gets a vr headset but this vr is like not just you use all your senses it's a video game that's like full simulation and the guy who created the game traps are going in there and it comes a death game you die in the game you die in real life and there's a lot of good tragic and drama like a lot of a lot of good stuff in there so it's a good show to check out now for the main event Last week's episode was about a hero, Shavars Karapachin. Still didn't get the, still don't know his pronunciation of his last name, Karapachin. But if you haven't already, give that one a listen. Uh, but Shavars' acts of heroism were spectacular. The man literally risked life and limb to save dozens of people on multiple occasions. After I read Shavars' story, there was no doubt in my mind that he was a hero. And while this episode's story doesn't have any of those dangerous or spectacular feats, 
I would argue this episode is about a hero too. A different kind of hero, but a hero nonetheless. See how I said the title in there? The title of the episode is Bobby Pierce, A Different Kind of Hero. And I just said he's a different kind of hero. Said the title in the episode. Cool. Little. Anyway, September 30th of 1905, 1905, so over 100 years ago, Henry Robert Pierce was born in Sydney, Australia. And get a load of his family. Uh, just to give you an idea of what caliber of athletic genes Bobby was blessed with, Bobby's grandfather, Henry John Harry Pierce Sr., very long titled names, was an Australian champion in sculling. Sculling is basically rowing, uh, but like athletic rowing. Bobby's father, Henry J. Harry Jr. Pierce Jr. You heard that, right? Henry J. Harry Jr. Pierce Jr. was an Australian sculling champion and challenged for the world championships twice, 1911 and 1913. His uncle, Sandy Pierce, was a National Rugby League representative induced into that sport's Australian Hall of Fame. He's got Hall of Famers. He's got Olympics in his family. Bobby's cousins were Cecil, a scholar, uh, who represented for Australia in the 1936 Summer Olympics, and Sid Pierce, who also played rugby league for Australia. Cecil's son, that'd be Bobby's cousin, uh, first cousin once removed, Gary Pierce, would row in three Olympic Games from 1964 to 1972. I know I just said a bunch of dates and stuff, but that was a lot of his family being Olympians. And Hall of Famers. So, yeah, I'll bet there was quite a lot of pressure on little Bobby to become the world, uh, world-class world athlete. Practically hit the genetic lottery. So, <laughs> no pressure, Bobby. But he took it with a champ, you know. Bobby started rowing. Um, he entered in the U16 handicap race at the age of just six years old. Uh, managed to finish in second place. Six. Then, he left school early to become a carpenter and then worked in the fishing industry with his father. When he turned 18, he joined the Australian Army in 1923 and uh, attained the rank of Master Sergeant. That's a cool rank. Master Sergeant, sound pretty cool, like Master Chief. In 1926, after winning the Army Heavyweight Boxing Championship, he left the Army to become a full-time rower. He was a competitor for the Sydney Rowing Club. And little, I just love how Australian Army Heavyweight Boxing Champion just sort of went, went in one year, came right out the other. That's just a mere footnote in the life of Bobby Pierce. <laughs> Athletes. Bobby Pierce was a whopping six foot two and weighed 210 pounds. For you metric system users across the world, that's 188 centimeters and 95 kilograms. This is an international podcast, by the way. Um, by the way. In 1927, at the age of 22, Bobby entered in the Amateur National Sculling Champions Championship. Okay. How do you think he did there? Well, he won that. <laughs> and then he proceeded to win the 1928 and 1929 championships. Because why not? His domination of the water got the attention of the right people. He was selected for the 1928 Olympics and even carried the Australian flag at the opening ceremonies that year. 1928. He's born in 1905. It's not much time until he's carrying the flag at the opening ceremonies at the Olympics. I mean, get on you, mate. <laughs> My best Australian accent right there. It was the 1928 Olympics in Amsterdam where Bobby became a legend. This was where he became a hero, in my opinion. His fight, his first race, was against German named, I'm guessing this is how it's pronounced, Walter Flinch. He's German. Uh, Bobby beat his ass by 12 lengths. okay? Next race was against a Danish guy named Schwartz, and Bobby smoked him with 
by eight lengths. Then the quarterfinals rolled around up against eight competitors. Bobby was easily beating the French guy, uh, Sauron, who was in second place. Sauron, he's French. Probably how you pronounce it, Sauron. I'll be saying it like that. Leading by a large margin in the quarterfinals on the Stoughton Canal, Bobby heard shouting from the Dutch spectators on the bank. He looked up and saw the spectators with worried looks on their faces. You know, then when he, you know, when you row a boat, you have to have your back at the front of the boat. So Bobby had to turn around just to see where he was heading, and he saw a duck about to cross his path right where he was going. This athletic, he's going really fast in a rowing boat. About to hit a duck. And he, then he saw a string of fuzzy little ducklings trailing behind their mother. Okay? Now, there is no rule against rowing right over those little suckers. And most competitors in the Olympics would have done just that. Um, without a moment's hesitation, actually. Olympic athletes train for years just to get a chance to compete. Most sacrifice so much just to be there, let alone win. And they're usually not willing to lose just because of some ducks. And if I were in the same situation as Bobby Pierce, I would plow right through those little ducks, <laughs> right over them. As I sped away, I would, might look back just to see if they made it back alive to the surface, but would have been would have made the decision already. Then. That was just to ease my conscience. If they all came up, then I'd be happy. But Bobby didn't do that. He slowed down, leaned on his oars, and just for a bit, and let those adorable little ducks pass as slow as they wanted to. In the Olympics, people are cheering, that's, that's madness. As he did this, Victor Salon, the French guy in second place, and a powerful three-time European champion rower, took advantage of the situation. Because of those ducks, Salon was able to get a five-length lead on Bobby. Once the ducks passed, Bobby gritted his teeth and rode like mad. Now everyone's like, dude, you just waited for those ducks. Now you are so far behind, five lengths behind Salon, you only have a thousand meters left in the race to do it. So he raced ahead those thousand meters. And by the time the race ended, Bobby Pierce had done the unthinkable. He beat Sauron by almost 30 seconds. As he glided across the finish line, his finishing time was 7.11. And it was a record over the 2000 meter distance. This time stood for 45 years. Okay, we got Bobby Pierce. He, he's rowing in the Olympics, 2,000 meters. He takes a little break halfway through, lets some ducks pass. Then he finishes and sets a world record that stood for 45 years. <laughs> what a guy. Oh, my gosh. In the final, Bobby defeated Kenneth Myers of the United States by the unusually large margin of 9.8 seconds. Pierce had hoped that his Olympic win would allow him to row in the Diamond Skulls at Henley, but he was ref he was refused admission because he was a carpenter. Back in Sydney, um, he was unable to find work due to the depression. You know, back back then, the Olympics apparently would not let you compete depending on your profession. When Lord Dewar, the Canadian whiskey manufacturer, learned of Pierce's plight, he offered him a job as a salesman. Whiskey salesman, not a bad job. This new position made Pierce eligible for uh, Henley since he was no longer a laborer. In 1931, he went to London and was the Diamonds, won the Diamond Skulls by six lengths. Although he moved to Hamilton, Ontario in Canada, Pierce represented Australia again in 1932, the Los Angeles Olympics. Didn't know you could do that. Didn't know you could live in one country and represent another. Pretty crazy. Where he won again. So 
1932 Olympics. Bobby Pierce went on to dominate the rowing scene for 12 more years after that, from 1933, as world professional champion. So, like, he was a professional winner of world championships. And to sum up that career I just explained to you, here's a, here's a little quote that I saw. Uh, the most important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. The essential thing in life is not competing, but fighting well. It was by Pierre de Foidy Baron de Coubertin, founder of the Olympic Committee. No guarantee I even pronounced that right with a French minor, but what a good quote. The important thing in the Olympics Games is not winning, but taking part. The essential thing in life is not conquering, but fighting well. Damn straight, Pierre. Damn straight. And he was the founder of the Olympic Committee, so pretty... Knows a lot about athletes, okay? Now, when Bobby stopped for those ducks, he didn't just make instant fans out of the spectators on the bank. Uh, no, he captivated the world with his com compassion, basically. I'm convinced Bobby Pierce was a real man and a true hero. I can't think of a better example of a true of true masculinity than a six foot two, two hundred ten pound natural athlete risking the most important competition of his career at that time just to save a family of ducks. Then go on to reclaim victory by the sweat of his brow. And I'm hard pressed to think of a better display of heroism than a man sticking to his moral code, his maxim of life is precious. When most minds at the time would only be thinking about winning. I don't know what Bobby was thinking at the time. I mean, I don't. I can guess. We all can guess. But, you know, maybe he stopped because he was tired. Just need a little rest to get his world record time in there. Maybe one of those Dutch spectators in the bank was a pretty little Danish chick. He stopped to impress her because, you know, that would work. Very much doubt those were his motivations. But in the end, it isn't his motivations that are important. It is the message he sent to the world. Some things aren't worth sacrificing. Even if it means attaining your dream, you shouldn't go against who you are. Who? What you believe. I think Henry Robert Pierce valued life. I think when he turned around and saw those ducks, there was no question in his mind. No debate. He just simply was not the person to intentionally kill an innocent creature for no other reason than to win a race. Those duckling lives meant more to him than that. It was quite the display of ethics. I thought it was amazing. I had to do a podcast, even if it's a pretty short one. Now, <laughs> that's that's my tale of Bobby Pierce. <laughs> a little opinion here. Damn. I hope just about every woman living in the Netherlands in 1928 threw their panties at Bobby Pierce. I mean, can you imagine how much he pulled at the pub after that? Chicks eat that shit up. <laughs> Athletic hunk who is actually also very compassionate and caring and very, you know, philosophical. <laughs> Dude, I, he, he had a wife after that, I guarantee it. Now, thanks for listening, Kuda Thunkers. That is episode 78. I love this podcast. And if you ever see me in the flesh, all you have to do is casually mention this podcast. I'll proceed to talk your ear off about it. Guaranteed, son. I'll take suggestions for episode topics, recommendation segment topics, and even suggestions about the podcast overall structure. I love your feedback. Give me it. If you go to anchor.fm, you can leave me an audio message and I'll make it, I'll include it on the next episode. So tune in, guys. Keep listening. Even if you're not listening, well, then I guess you wouldn't hear this. So there's no point in me talking to you if you're not listening. But if you're listening, you're hearing this, and that's great. I care. I don't make money off of this. I do it for fun. Probably all my friends and family anyway know me personally. But I do have listeners in like 
55 different countries now, which is crazy. So I'm, 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 Yehuda Thunkers, you're, you're gaining some clout here. Got quite a few of you listening in. Tune in next week, guys. Catch you later.